Okay, welcome everybody. We are rocking and rolling here today. Welcome to um, the world's best amateur professional podcast uh, pertaining to bagpipe stuff. Uh, we are uh, going to, whoops, if I can keep my computer from breaking. We are going to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about tuning this week. And uh, But first off, how's everybody doing out there? Pretty good, I hope. Give me a G if you're feeling good out in the crowd there. Excellent. G stands for good, hopefully. I'm on my own today. Vin uh, had some stuff come up, and Carl is um, uh, not available either. So we're kind of on our own. But the good news is uh, I'm extremely entertaining all by myself. Cool. Glad to hear you guys are doing well. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, tuning today. How many people first time here? I saw that um, some of you have just recently seen our free classes. So uh, welcome. Welcome to you guys. Excellent. Very cool. Hopefully the technology is working fine for you guys. Basically, um, basically we, I'll often ask for feedback down there in the chat box. Um, and so you guys are welcome to chat in. And um, um, basically, this is just a show. We're going to talk a little bit about bagpipes. Sometimes we do, uh, sometimes we listen to competitions and do various things. And then um, often in the fall and throughout the winter, we actually talk a little bit about bagpipe fundamentals. And um, so we'll get into it a little bit from there. From Ireland, welcome. Welcome. That's great, Pat. Cool. Many people's first time here. Good stuff. Okay, so we're going to switch views here. And hopefully it doesn't uh, mess anything up. Earlier it was misbehaving. But um, we're going to talk a little bit about tuning today. We talked a little bit about it last week. And one of the things, I actually wrote a blog article that gave me the um, idea for today's class. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Um, yeah. So this is, this is kind of cool. Um, and it's all about it's all about talking. Uh, the blog article is we get so many um, so many questions over time, and it's weird. You run a bagpipe business for long enough, and you teach the same thing enough times uh, that you sort of assume, well, um, you know, people sort of know people know this stuff. They know how to tell um, what's sharp and what's flat and all that stuff, or they at least know where to look. And of course, that's not really true. And, and we always need help with some of this, these basic things. How many people here uh, know how to tell the difference between sharp or flat uh, when it comes to tuning? Like, um, and don't be shy. Or, or if you don't know, you can type that in too. No idea. Wayne says he's not good at it. That's good. Thanks for breaking the ice there, Wayne. Richard says, no idea. John says, not good. Nancy knows in theory, but not in practice. James is getting better. Carol agrees with Lee. Not good. Okay. Good. Well, most of if you've been around Dojo U at all, you know you know that this is a little bit of a trick question. And one of the big things I'm on a little bit of a personal crusade in my life um, to um, to prove the following. 
and to get people to understand and buy into the following statement. I'm going to type it here. Um, if anybody can predict what I'm about to type, you can type it in too. Uh, but it goes like this. Tuning okay, is 90% logic and only 10% ear. Okay? This is my this is my thesis about everything tuning. Okay, and it's it's a thing that I really believe. And um, I actually uh, I have a very good ear. I could probably tell you if a note is sharp or flat um, off the top of my head um, the vast majority of the time. But um, have I always had this ear, or have I developed it over time? And the answer is I've developed my ear over time by using the logic that I need to use in order to get my pipes in tune. Does that make sense? 90% brain power. Okay, 90% brain power and only 10% ear. And the only part of our ear that we need, okay, the only thing with our ears that we actually need is the ability to hear sounds. We actually don't have to have any magical gifts or talents. Okay? All of that stuff will be developed. Now, the length of time it takes to develop this skill is might be different. I, don't, I actually don't know for sure, but it's certainly fair to say that kids seem to learn this sort of thing way faster than adults do, right? Um, but um, is that because kids spend a lot more time thinking about it than adults do or because they're actually better at it? I don't really know, and frankly, I'm not all that concerned because... Uh, we're actually going to learn the logic behind tuning. Yeah, Carol says kids have more agile brains. That may or may not be true. I like to think my brain is still pretty agile. Um, but uh, certainly it's tempting to think that, right? Oh, Carol says I'm still a kid. Oh, well, there you go. That explains everything. So what is the logic behind tuning? Okay. So th that's where my blog article came in, and I started thinking about, actually, or did I read it somewhere, or I heard it somewhere, but it uh, immediately made me think about piping, which is, how many people here, and um, Carol, you'll have no excuse because you're accusing me of being a kid, which suggests you're going to know this next one. Um, how many people out there have ever had one of those old school radios, not the digital kind, where you just type in the number that you want, but an old school radio where you actually had a knob or um, a wheel of some kind where you tuned in to the radio station. How many people, uh, yep, and some people still have them, so, so do I. Does it date you? I don't think it does. I still have like, I still have, you can still buy them at like Target, just like simple radios with knobs. Still have one by your bedside. Is there anybody here that feels like they don't have the ear required to tune into a radio station? We actually have one of the oldest radio stations in America here in the Albany area. 810 WGY. Yeah, now it takes a little bit of time. Um, but are you got, are you familiar with the are you familiar with the general idea? of tuning a radio to a radio station. What do you do? You have a couple reference points you can use, right? Like like my old school radio, and I wish I had one here. I just don't have one. It would be really nice to have one. 
uh, but they, they have the little slider thing and, and they have numbers that are rough references to radio stations. So if I want to tune to 103 FM, I would go between the 102 and the 104 and then I would listen for what I want. Now, um, do I just use my reference point or is there more to it than that? Once I get close to the number that I want, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to that knob? Slow down with the knob. I like that. And then, you know, do I just find the station and it's perfectly clear right away or is there more to it than that? There's more to it. Marty says I have to fine tune it. Yeah, I have to go back and forth to tiny little bits. I go back and forth tiny little bits to try and get the clearest possible signal. Meredith, that's a great point. Sometimes I'll purposely go past the radio station and then come back towards it. Gary says gross tuning followed by fine tuning. These are all these are all really good things. Here's another question for you. This is a more deep and meaningful philosophical question. Um, do we ever get a perfect signal when we tune our analog radios? Lee says no. Hilton says not really. Yeah. Yep, it can change. Any atmospheric interference can change it. Or if you put a you know, magnet near it, yeah, that could change it. There's probably environmental factors. Leslie says you can when it locks in, yeah. Is it ever really perfect, I wonder? You get a better signal on a clear night. This is all good stuff. Gary says the definition of the word perfect is probably uh, has to be has to come into question as well. <laughs> okay, so does anybody see any parallels between tuning a radio and tuning bagpipes? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's like it's like a really, really great analogy for tuning. Okay. Now, um, instead of having like little numbers on the radio, instead of having little numbers on there, we don't really have that, but we do have a reference tone, which really helps us. Okay. Yeah. And then Derek's pointing out, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, just like you can't perfectly tune an analog radio, it's also impossible to perfectly tune a bagpipe. It's never going to happen. Not in a million years. I don't care who you are. And I'm sure all the great bagpipers in the world are going to agree with me on this. Um, we can come closer and closer to perfection each and every time we do it. We get more experience and our ear becomes a little bit more sensitive to the fine points. But perfection isn't ever going to happen either. I think that's one of the big problems with bagpipe tuning. Um, how many people out there, and you may very well be one of these people, uh, you know, and you say, well, I can't really get my pipes in tune. But the, the problem, part of the problem is inherent in the statement and in the mindset. I can't get my pipes in tune either, but I can get them very, very well tuned. Right? There's a difference between, you know, there is no such thing as in tune. We can, on a radio, we can get a really, really clear signal. That's really, really enjoyable. But, you know, you always wonder, is, is like one, one tiny 
copper molecule to the left going to produce a slightly better signal? Can you even detect differences in signal quality? It's all very interesting. Okay, so uh, let's recap. Uh, let's recap, guys. Let me see what this view does. No, I like my old view better. Or maybe I like this view. Cool. Let's recap what we have to do to uh, tune a radio. Let's recap. So the first thing is, um, you know, uh, what, what was someone calling it? Gross tuning. Okay. Or, you know, gross tuning. And what does that mean? Was it Gary? Did you say that? What did you mean by gross tuning of the radio? Might not have been Gary. It was. What do we mean by gross tuning? Course and getting that sucker in the ballpark, right? Okay, on a radio, we can use the numbers that are provided on the radio itself to get us in a general neighborhood. On a bagpipe, we need, we need a reference tone of some sort, and we need to get the two things sounding pretty similar. That's the first thing uh, we need to do, getting that sucker in the ballpark. Um, I happen to have, uh, i got to unplug these, bagpipes here with me, and what we should do is, hang on one second. What we should do is, um, we should do an example. So um, we might not be able to hear this all that clearly because audio gets compressed over the internet. But if we're talking about gross tuning of drones here, right, um, I'm going to move this guy well out of tune. So uh, I'm going to try and tune this outside tenor to this inside one. We can already pretty much tell by looking at them which direction am I going to have to move this guy in order to tune to this guy? You can already sort of tell. On the assumption my bagpipes are set up fairly uh, responsibly, you can already sort of tell. So, yeah, my first gross tuning effort in all likelihood is going to be to move this guy up to be somewhere near here. But we're going to use our ears a little bit, and we're just going to move this in a direction where um, the drones start to sound the same. So here we go. Let me let me show you what I mean. So so that's that's an example of a gross tuning movement, right? They were way they were wildly out of tune, and I moved it. Um, I, I moved it sort of aggressively towards the goal. Now, once we do a gross tuning thing on our, let's keep using the radio example. What do we do next? Think about a radio. Once you get close, like you're starting to hear a signal of your radio station, what do we do? James says go past that point. Fine-tune it, yeah. Small adjustments. Move out until you sense that you've gone too far. I'm going to sum all this up. Yeah, Janet says, make, make minor adjustments until they sound close and then play. I'm going to change, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you guys here, and I'm going to say, 
experiment. Okay? Think about what you would do with a radio. You're going to experiment with that, uh, with the knob. You're going to experiment going in different directions. try to get a better signal. Okay? And we're going to do the same thing with our drone reads. Um, it's, not, it's not so much, I mean, uh, we should make small adjustments, and then James, we can experiment by going past where we think we should go. Okay? But uh, I like the word experiment, and that, that best describes what I do when I tune my drones. I'm going to experiment by moving in different directions to try to get a, not so much a better signal in this case, but to get, um, uh, but to get like a more accurate tuning to get the drones to sound better together. Yeah. Now Leslie um, is giving some good tips. If you move it and it gets better, move in the same direction, just like on a radio, right? If it gets worse, back up. If you feel like it's as good as it's going to get, that's when you stop. Absolutely. So um, were you guys able to hear my drones clearly at all, or was it super distorted? Okay. Okay, cool. Well, let me do – I'm going to do the same thing again. Let's start – let's, let's uh, gross tune it from the other direction this time. It doesn't really matter. Um, so I'm going to gross tune it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to experiment for a little while. I want you to ask yourself, um, is this an exercise I could do at home? It probably is, right? So right now, not very good. Good. So I just gross-tuned them again. Now they're at least kind of sort of sounding the same pitch. Now I'm just going to experiment for a while, and I'm going to use Leslie's technique probably. I'm going to try and make it sound better. Maybe I'll go past the point. Maybe I'll come back. To, uh, come back. I mean, I could go all day, right? I really could. Um, there were times where I got it really close. And then I continued to experiment, and it got worse, so I moved it better. Um, I'm never going to get them perfectly in tune. But my experiment, my experimentation is all about um, – I lost my train of thought there. My experimentation is all about seeing how close I can get them in tune. Does everybody understand the radio analogy and how it can help us uh, tune our drones? Cool. It's a great analogy, and, and it perfectly describes what I do every time I tune my pipes. And guess what? It pretty much describes what everybody that's good at bagpipes does to get their drones in tune. Did I, at any point in this, did we talk about having a good ear? 
the Nate is asking, what am I listening for? Define better sounding. Well, um, in the case of drones, right, especially these two tenor drones, we want them to sound the exact same pitch. We want them to sound the exact same pitch. And uh, when, as they get closer to sounding the same pitch, it, it sounds more pleasant to the ear. And as it gets further away, it sounds less pleasant. Um, but as far as better sounding is concerned, that's kind of up for you to discover. I mean, we can talk about, like Gary's talking about, beating, you know, frequency discrepancies. We can talk about, you know, uh, there's lots of different words we can use to describe degrees of being in tune and out of tune. But at the end of the day, we just need to experiment and learn what that sounds like. Define pleasant. Well, um, I'll show you, right? So let me give you one example. Okay, so Nate, does this sound pleasant to you? Pleasant or unpleasant? What do you think? Mary says, ew. So there's something about that sound we don't really like, right? Okay, yeah, frowny face, not good sound. Dying cow. Now, um, notice how when I move it closer to being in tune, which that's not the point of this, but as I move it in one direction, you can hear that the sound becomes more pleasant. And tell me if you can hear that. Tell me if you can hear it getting better. Did that get better? Because that's a big question you're asking, Nate. It's a very hard question. Or it seems hard, but it's really not. Could you hear, could you hear the difference there? Yeah, you can describe it any way you want. Uh, beating is maybe like the technical... Uh, musicianship type word that people use. Okay, it, but it doesn't matter, right? In tune is going to be in tune, and and guess what? Um, what I consider to be in tune or uh, well tuned is different than what a beginning bagpiper would consider to be in tune, right? And that's okay. It all has to do with experience and control over the instrument and all sorts of things. But the important thing is, for you, you know, you're going to teach yourself how to get better at tuning through through doing the right things. Um, I'm trying to think of another example. It's like, how about when kids learn how to walk, or when they learn how to speak? But let's use walking for an example. Do you start off? How do you know? How do you know when you're walking versus not walking? Or how, how do you know, um, you know, how do you know if you're, yeah, how do you know if you're walking or not walking? Well, it's sort of a broad definition, right? You're using your feet and you're not crawling and something like that. And it's the same with tuning, right? How do you know the sound got better? Well, it's either more pleasant to you or less. I really don't think anyone on earth 
right, would say this is getting better. Am I getting better? Is my tuning getting better or worse there? Was anybody unable to tell that the tuning was getting worse? Oh, good. People are begging to make it stop. Well, there you go. So the objective in tuning is not, can I tune myself? It's, can I, can I make one thing uh, more pleasant to the ear relative to something else? See what I mean? It's like a, it's a puzzle right? It's a process, not a product, right? And it's like a puzzle that we need to figure out. It's just a puzzle. 90% logic, and we have to be able to hear, but other than that, we don't need to have a good ear at all. How long do you think it takes me to tune my entire bagpipes to the chanter? You know, how long does the process take? I should say three minutes. Two minutes or less. Nice try, guys. I can do it in well under 15 seconds. You can do it well under 15 seconds, yeah. Now, granted... Uh, I'm going to tweak it more after that, but I can get my bagpipes very well in tune in under 15 seconds, like the whole process. Now, how did, I, how did I learn to do that? Well, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of practice, but it's a, a lot of practice with exactly what we're talking about in mind, right? Um, and then then you get good at it really quickly. Do I tune immediately or play for a few minutes first? Great question, Chris. So what I do, now uh, what I do is I get my pipes roughly in tune right away. And then I gradually retune, I, you know, I continually retune my pipes as my bagpipes start to settle out, right? You know what I mean? And uh, it's really not a big deal. I mean, you could do a couple of different things. Um, you could do a couple of you could do a couple of different um, processes there, but see for me uh, tuning is so quick and easy and efficient uh, that I just start off right away and I tune. Uh, I tune my pipes roughly, then I play for a little bit, and then my chanter goes up in pitch right over time. It's a little bit of an advanced topic, but uh, because the temperature increases inside my bag as I play, the reed sharpens up, and so I know that I need to sharpen up my drones as I go to lock things in. Okay, um, there you go. So that's topic number one. Now, tuning the drones to the chanter is a little bit different than tuning drones to each other. Steve's cane bass flattens a lot. Why do you think that might be? Why does your bass flatten when... Why does a cane base flatten over time? 
Excellent. Excellent. And the cane, uh, the cane of the drone reeds, right, when you use old school, for lack of a better term, old school cane reeds, um, is that when you stop playing, the moisture will gradually evaporate sort of um, and leave the reed. And then when you start to play again, it starts to soak in again. And the weight of the tongue and the shape of the reed changes as it takes on moisture. Um, and that's why um, cane reeds take a while to settle in. Um, but the organic material of cane sounds really, really amazing. So, um, so yeah, but it's, it's sort of a delicate balance. Let's, I want to talk, segue a little bit to chanter tuning. Right, because that's a big thing. Is we need to, we don't just need our drones to be in tune with the other drones. We also need them to be in tune with the chanter. Um, why is it difficult to tune drones to the chanter? There's a couple different reasons, uh, but let's get some let's get some audience uh, participation with that question. Why uh, is it difficult to tune the drones to the chanter? Good. I mean, these are all these are all um, good things, right? Chanter is in different octaves. Very good. Um, not enough hands is a very real reason that that's hard. Okay. Can't play low A and tune drums at the same time. That's one of the biggest things, isn't it? That makes it a big pain in the butt. Pressure varies. Yeah. Well, what you really mean is pitch of chanter varies with unsteady blowing. Right. Um, exactly right. Uh, Nate says, we're actually dealing with two different types of reeds. Trying to think if we've missed anything here. Oh yeah, we have. We've missed a key thing so far. There's one. There's one more key thing that we've missed. I think these are four of the five really important reasons why it's hard. Timbre and overtones. I don't think. I think timbre and overtones actually make it a little easier for us to tune. Different size tubes. Nope, we're missing one really important thing. Ceiling fans. Nope. Good try. <laughs> yeah, watch out for the ceiling fans. Notes change differently as you play. I'm not sure what that means. What do you mean by that, Steve? I think Steve might be close. Um, so, Steve, you can tell me if this is what you meant. Here's the fifth thing that's really important is 
um, chanter notes change uh, depending on the environment inside the bag. For example, if, um, if we just blow up the bagpipes at room temperature and play our chanter, it's going to sound at one pitch. But the longer we play and the more the temperature increases inside the bag, the pitch of the chanter actually changes on us. It's not going to stay the same. As moisture gets added into the bag, right, there's moisture in our breath. As that starts to accumulate inside of the bag, that also has an effect on the chanter read. In general, it flattens things off, but it flattens some notes more than others. And it's really, it would be really difficult to predict exactly what's going to happen. Although um, experts, expert tuners, myself included, we have some pretty valuable insights. But um, the chanter notes change depending on the environment inside the bag. Isn't that more a difference between setting tuning versus maintaining tuning? Well, tuning is the same um, regardless, right? We're going to use the same basic, uh, you know, we just talked about the radio tuning sort of strategy, right, um, to get things in tune. And regardless of when you do that, setting versus maintaining, there's not really a difference. I'm not, I'm not fully following you there, Rob. I'm not sure what you mean. Chris is asking, do I like moisture absorption systems to avoid this? The answer is absolutely not. Moisture is a good thing. Uh, once once the, you know, the bag has stabilized and things, things are acclimatized. <laughs> that's true. Tim, that's a great point. It's one of the reasons why we need to practice this and get good at it and get used to doing it repeatedly um, is because things are going to change and the, you know that, that's a classic example right if you if you get your pipes out of the box and you tune for 10 minutes by the end of that 10 minutes your chanter will have changed absolutely so Rob uh, going back to your point here so you're saying that um, you can't maintain the tuning if you can't set it in the first place. And that's true, okay, but what you will do to maintain the tuning is identical to what you would do to set the tuning. It's the same exact process. I, I definitely do not use a moisture system. I do use a water trap tube. Um, that helps, you know, just get rid of some of the condensed moisture and get it out. Because obviously, saturating your bag with tons of moisture is bad, right? But trying to get all the moisture out of your bag is just as bad, if not way worse. There's a lot of reasons for that, which I don't think we should get into today. Um, but, uh, yeah. Moistures, in my opinion... Moisture systems should only be used by super advanced players who have a need 
to stay absolutely perfectly locked in tune for very long periods of time. Otherwise, um, otherwise we're much better off using a simple setup and learning to manage uh, our moisture in a smart way. Yeah, just a tube trap. That's what I use, Carol, yeah. And sometimes I don't even use that. Like if it's a hot day, no way I'm using the tube. I want all the moisture I can get. Um, to make a long story short, moisture stabilizes my chanter read and um, frees the read up, you could say. It makes the read more flexible, so it produces a, a more harmonic and rich sound. So the problem with moisture control systems is it destabilizes the system and, um, you know, prevents the chanter read from becoming its fully flexible self. So you're going to lose richness and stability when you introduce a moisture control system. Your drones might stay in tune with each other, but it'll be very difficult to keep the drones in tune with the chanter. And even if you manage to do that, the chanter sound itself um, loses a lot of its quality, the rich quality. So I lied. I, I guess I did go into that today. That's that. That's the very like. That's a long story short. For example, um, and then just a little analogy again. Um, we get a lot more snow here in Albany than they do in let's say Seattle even though we're at the exact same latitude and longitude, uh, or latitude rather, I think it is. Why do you think that might be? Right, it's much drier and therefore, right, atmospheric conditions are a lot less stable. Um, and the other thing is that we don't have that moderating effect that all the, you know, that the ocean and the moisture provides in, in coastal areas, right? So temperatures fluctuate a lot less in Seattle than they do in Albany. Now, just kind of a lame, only semi-accurate scientific example. Yes, Gary, that's, that's awesome, dude. Great, great extension of the analogy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's that's exactly the way it is. So that's why tuning the chanter is difficult. Um, what what technique do what technique do we use as pipers uh, to help us solve some of these problems? Right. Some of these problems we're just you know we're not going to be able to do anything about. Like chanters in a different octave. No, we're just going to have to get good at starting to hear. What sounds better and what sounds worse, despite the fact that we're in a different octave? Um, pitch of the chanter varies with unsteady blowing. Two different types of reeds. What, um, what kind of, what's the main technique that we use to to solve this problem? And Meredith, I understand you're trying to be funny there, but that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. We want to learn how to tune our instruments. We don't want somebody else to have to do it for us. 
Water tube to maintain steady blowing pressure. Tuning meter. Tuning meter is absolutely not what I'm getting at. James says the blowing technique, yeah. And, and what we actually do as pipers to get around some of these issues is what we use what I call the blow trick. Okay. And it's a, little, it's a little bit of logic that we use um, to help us get things in tune. Okay. So the blow trick is this. We actually know. Uh, the chanter changes in pitch when you change the blowing pressure. Does everybody agree with this? You can hear it on practice chanter. When I increase the when I increase my blowing pressure, what happens to the pitch? Yeah, pitch goes up. And then, you know, otherwise known as gets sharper. And then if I decrease the blowing, the pitch gets flatter, right? And this is really, uh, this is really cool, uh, really cool information for us. Okay? Because we can't reach up, while we're playing low A, we can't reach up and play with our drones unless we buy some, you know, gimmicky products or what have you, which, you know, um, are fun to play around with. But at the end of the day, we want to just be able to do it. So we use this thing called the blow trick. And all it is is a knowledge that the chanter will change in pitch when we change the blowing pressure. Okay? So uh, what we're going to do is let's, let's take our, um, our drones that we just tuned. Let's take our one tenor and play low A. And it's going to make a sound. Now, if I increase the blowing and the sound that my chanter and my tenor drone make improves, gets more pleasant, what conclusion can I draw from that? So I'll say that again. So I'm playing my low A with my tenor drone, and I increase the blowing, and the sound becomes more pleasant. The correct answer is the chanter, the low A, rather, is flat relative to the drone, or... You could also say that the drone is sharp relative to the chanter. So what, uh, what adjustment could I make um, to give myself um, you know, a more pleasant sound? It doesn't really matter. Don't worry about flat or sharp so much other than to say, the, if, I, if I increase the blowing, right? So if I increase the pitch of my chanter, and it sounds better to my drone. That means my drone is at a higher pitch than my chanter. So I'm not going to sync the chanter read. I'm going to, by default, I'm going to retune the drone. Now, Harry, sometimes we might come to the conclusion we need to change the chanter, but um, usually we try with the drones first. That's the priority. So, so we'll retune our drone. What, how do we retune our drone in this case? What move will we make? Yeah, we're going to lengthen the drone by raising it up or, you know, lengthening the column, right? Because the drone is higher pitched than the chanter. And to make anything a lower pitch, we lengthen it. 
Right. And then, James, you are talking about the overall shortcut, right? Which is this. If blowing harder gets better, move drone up. If blowing harder gets worse, move drone down. These are the logical choices. If blowing um, weaker gets better, move drone down. If blowing weaker gets worse, move drone up. What does flat sound like? I don't know. I don't, I don't understand that question. Right? All we're talking about, we, we don't care ever whether something sounds flat or sharp. We have to move away from that. Even if we knew, like I kind of know at this point, but my ears play tricks on me all the time. Right. It's a hard question. Everybody undoubtedly hears things differently anyway. And we're going to use logic and we're never going to use stuff like what does flat sound like? Because I don't know. I don't know how to describe that to you. But we all knew before. Remember, we all knew whether something got better or worse. We can all tell that. Now, I might be able to tell that to a finer point than you because I have a lot of experience. But in general, we all have the ability to decide whether something is, sounds better or worse. Right? So that's the blow trick that we use to get the chanter in tune. And we do that with low A, but we can also do it with any note, right? Like if our D sounds really bad, let's say everything sounds good, but the D sounds bad. Well, I can perform the blow trick on the D. And I say, oh, when I blow harder on D, it seems to sound better. Well, we're not going to change our drones in that case because everything else sounds good. So in that case, we're going to do what um, Harry was saying. We're not going to sync the channel read, but we're going to change the tape on the D in order to get that to sound in tune with the drone. So in that case, just talking through it, I blew harder on the D and it sounded better. That means the D is lower in pitch than the drones, which means I want to raise the pitch of the D. Which means, like, I have some I have some tape on my practice chanter here, right? And do that's my D right there, uh, and you know it's got tape on it. If I wanted to sharpen it, or if I wanted to increase the pitch, I'd move the tape up, so the hole is actually closer to the source, and that makes it sharper. How many people are following me versus lost right now? It's, you know, if you're new to all this, all that information might seem a little bit confusing. What is the, um, what's the bottom line, though? Even if you're a little bit confused by the time we get to the end of all this stuff, right? What's the bottom line of this? I'll give you a hint. It's in blue letters right there on the screen. 
Right. The bottom line, the biggest thing to take away is tuning is 90% logic and only 10% ear, if that. Tuning is all about logic, not about some sort of magical knowledge of sound. If you have, I'm not going to ask you to have faith in that, but if you are confident and you buy into this idea, tuning, you know, being able to tune yourself well is just a matter of time and practice. If you think that tuning has to do with some magical thing um, that only uh, masters or digital tuners can tell you, um, then you're pretty much always going to be in that box and not going to be able to get yourself out of that. Now, Nate's asking, you know, um, and, and that's the main thesis of this. One last thing we can talk about here is Nate is asking, now, how do I tune <coughs> multiple pipes in a pipe section? Can anybody summarize how to do that? We know, we know our blow trick. We know how to get drones in tune with each other. How about getting other pipers in tune with each other? Well, I'll tell you how we do it. Now, we do use a tuner in this case, but only in a very, very simple way. Okay? So here's how, this, this is what we do. Very simple. Decide on a, um, we'll call it universal drone frequency. Okay. Use the tuner to tune Piper X's drones to the universal frequency. Adjust chanter to lock in with I guess it's that simple. It really is this simple. We're going to decide on a universal drone frequency. Then we're going to go to Piper X, so any Piper in the band. <coughs> we're going to tune their drones to that frequency and make sure their chanter is locked in with that. That's it. Silence, radio silence. Nate, does that make sense to you? Now, the, the idea of this is very simple, but there are a lot of variables. There are a lot of variables that you have to manage, but you just need to learn to manage them. You know, 
uh, factors we need to manage. You know, is everyone being tuned at the same um, Um, you know, etc. You know, like some of the there are factors that make this complicated that you have to manage. Just a couple of them, right? I'm just reading some of this stuff, guys, here. Sorry for the Hilton says, when I started out, we locked the chanters first, then tuned the drones to the chanters individually. That's one technique. There's just a, there's a lot of problems with that um, strategically for me. Um, most of all, right, tuning up the chanters without the drones involved um, doesn't give us that universal reference point to check things with. Uh, that's the biggest reason. There's a bunch of other reasons, too. Uh, but a lot of bands do it that way. Chris says, so should we play or not? Lots of people go off to the side, and we have people at different levels of pipes being warmed up. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I'm not sure, so should we play or not? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Uh, Gary says, out of curiosity, what is the universal frequency? The universal frequency is whatever you want, although usually the best course of action is um, to take the most reliable bagpipes in the group, get them all warmed up and sounding nice, and use the drone tuner to tell you what that particular frequency is. And that frequency will change from day to day, from minute to minute, depending on um, environmental factors. Lots of great questions here. Not enough time to answer them. James says, how do you account for different blowers? Well, in a band, there should be no different blowers. Everyone should be blowing perfectly steadily. And, of course, that's not reality, right? But you do your best with people who have bad blowing habits and then work as rapidly as possible to teach them good blowing habits. Uh, Gary, um, the Stuart Highlanders, which is our pipe band, um, we were at 484-ish at the Worlds last year. Uh, most of the grade one bands are in that ballpark. And then, you know, lower grade bands don't need to push that envelope quite as much. I think being in the ballpark of 480 is kind of where, where you want to be. Well, and then 454, right, is similar to 481 or something, right? 454 is actually a B-flat reading, which is why it's so much lower. So um, we used to use that B-flat read, reading also. 
I've been getting used to the 480s. So yeah, 454 is um, yeah is a uh, taking the reading from the perspective of a B flat. 476, yeah, that's a little bit on the low side, competitively speaking. Um, but it doesn't mean squat, right? If you're well-tuned at 476, you're going to beat a band that's not as well-tuned at 480, right? Uh, the only thing is, if everything else was equal, both bands blew perfectly steadily and were perfectly tuned, which, of course, we know is not possible. But if everything else was perfect and equal, um, the human ear prefers a higher pitch, which is why very high-end competition bands are always competing in, in the pitch department a little bit. Yeah, Ashby, uh, you're involved in a band that, you know, has, I think, grade five, four, and three bands, and all of those bands would do very well at that 480 to 482 pitch. It's a perfect sweet spot, I would say. Most modern chanters are designed to play somewhere in that ballpark. Higher, higher can be thinner, especially if the chanter is not designed uh, to be that high in pitch. Right? So then you'll, you'll sync the read a lot. You'll end up with a lot of tape on high-hand notes and stuff like that, and you'll end up really thin. Okay, so that's it, folks. Um, let's call it in there uh, for today. If anyone um, is interested in learning more about bagpipe sound, um, Dojo U memberships have tons of information in regards to bagpipe sound. And we also have an instrument fundamentals course. It's like 15 hours of HD video lessons all about how to master bagpipe sound. So you can check that out um, at dojouniversity.com. Uh, you guys are most welcome, and thanks for the great turnout today. And we'll post this up in our podcast for everybody to listen to, and we'll see everybody next week.